Hey everybody, welcome to class. This is White Homework, the podcast for white people who want to learn to be better allies. I'm Tori Williams-Douglas, and today on the show, I am talking to Melissa Urban. Melissa is the co-founder and CEO of Whole30. She's a New York Times bestselling author and someone who has been implementing equity and inclusion in her business. I wanted to talk to her about her journey to equity, inclusion, and justice in her field, and she graciously agreed to join me. Get out your pencils and paper, and we'll get started. I am so excited, you guys, to have Melissa Urban on my homework. Um, Melissa, I got to tell you a little story before we jump in. Oh, okay. I stumbled onto your social media last year in the middle of like, I would call it a depressive episode. Um, I was really needing to like find some kind of way to take control of my life. I was recently divorced, like single parent, mental health struggles. And then I was like, oh yeah, I read this book a long time ago. It starts with food. I was like, huh, I know that like I used to, I know that a lot of people used to be on, on Instagram. I'll go check it out. Um, so I somehow found my way to your Instagram page and I was like, oh my God, this is a single mom who's dealing with a traumatic brain injury with your concussion and you were speaking out about injustice on top of that and like in health and wellness. And that kind of shocked me. Honestly, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is good. Like I can, I know that I'll be safe here. Right. Um, so could you tell me like on an individual level, what led you to inclusion, justice, equity, like feeling that was important to you just as a person? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a journey, right? It wasn't, it didn't happen all at once. I would love to say that my own, um, you know, spiritual journey and consciousness drew me to it, to this like greater realization of the system that I've been upheld, upholding. And that's not what happened. What typically happens with white people is that we get called in by either other white people or by people of respect in our community or people of color in our community or people who just are feeling marginalized or not heard or not seen. And in my case, it was other white people who also had platforms who, you know, several years ago were looking at some of the things that were happening in terms of our social justice system and saying like, why aren't you talking about this? You have a platform and I know that you really care about your people. Why aren't you talking about it? Mm-hmm. And I had a million reasons why I wasn't talking about it. You know, it's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't really think it impacted our community much because we were pretty close knit and we were, we felt like we were very friendly and welcoming and inclusive, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until two things happened and they happened like in the same day, which is like, God kind of pointing out like, Hey, Melissa, it's time. First were the, I was in Norway on a trip and the Charlottesville rallies happened Mm -hmm. while I was in Norway. Mm -hmm. And I came out of this social media kind of hiatus where I was in these mountains hiking and tears streaming, appreciating the gloriousness to find like, you know, Nazis marching in our country. And that shocked me. And at the same time, I had a personal situation. So often I find white people, myself included, come to some of these realizations only by centering ourselves first. And I was in a first class line ready to board my airplane in Norway. I was still in my hiking gear. I think my socks were muddy. I had a backpack and this old white guy kept trying to cut ahead of me in line. And I was like, I'm in line. And he's like, you're in the wrong line. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm in the right line. And he was like, this is first class. And he wanted me to show him my ticket. And I thought, who the, I don't know if we can swear, but who the F are you, right? Who the fuck are you to ask me this? Uh And in that moment, I had this flash of like, oh my God, 
this is what black people feel like all the time just because of how they look. And that doesn't happen to me very often. I have a lot of privilege. I'm white. I'm straight. I'm tall. I have thin privilege and what society considers pretty privilege. Like it doesn't happen that I feel othered like that. And those two things happening in concurrence made me realize that there was probably something here I should start paying attention to. And that was really where my own deep dive into like, what don't I know about this began? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, I think you make such a good point that it's like, for so many white people, it's, oh, like something happened to me. Oh, shit. Like, this must be what people of color feel like all the time, or, you know, LGBTQ people, etc. Um, and yeah. I don't think I realized that, Tori, because I really thought that like racism was something that used to happen and didn't really happen anymore. You know, my family was not overtly racist. I now Mm -hmm. can look back on examples of, you know, times where like they weren't necessarily not racist, Um, but they weren't overtly racist. I was taught to believe that like color didn't matter and not to see color and everyone was equal and everyone had the same opportunities. And like, it really didn't, it didn't occur to me that this is until I started digging that like, no, 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 this is something that is still happening all the time, every single day to so many more groups of people than just Mm -hmm. black men and women. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you do a ton of individual research. Like I know that you're a voracious reader, but I know that when you have questions, you, you frequently will do like deep dives into subjects. Is that something that you did with um, like racism, justice, inclusion, equity. Big time, big time. Okay. And my typical pattern is to like do a bunch of research on my own and try to learn as much as I can by listening and keeping an open mind and noting where I get defensive and coming back around to that and asking like, why am I getting defensive here? And then when I have inevitable follow-ups because either think I like I'm having a hard time comprehending or I don't understand a bigger picture or I want a perspective, I tend to reach out to people I trust and say, you know, this is what I've done so far. Here's where I think I am. Like, what am I missing about this piece? And that's exactly where it started. The very first Google search I ever made when I got back from Norway was why I shouldn't say I don't see color. Like Mm, what's wrong with mm -hmm. saying I don't see color. And it led me to all of these articles, one in particular by a journalist named Jarrett Hill. And so I reached out to him and said, I just want to let you know, I really appreciate your article. It's teaching me a lot. I'm brand new to this, but like, here's what I've learned. Thank you. And he sent me a note back and was like, do you want to get on the phone? I'd be happy to like walk you through some of this. And Mm. so he lent me and has continued to lend me. We're still in touch and he's such a wonderful force, but he's continued to lend me his labor to like try to help me understand, which I can imagine is not easy because there are a lot of situations in which like I really don't get it to the point where I worry that I'm causing harm to the people that I'm asking for help from. Yeah. That's why I try to do so much of my own research up front so I don't come in totally blind. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I know that you incorporated like racial equity and LGBTQ inclusion into your business. Um, can you talk to me about how that process went? Because I mean, obviously this has been fairly recent for you, it sounds like as an individual, like what did that look like um, in terms of incorporating these values into your company, your businesses? Man, this is a difficult, like it's a little bit of a painful discussion because I haven't always done a good job. It's funny when you were talking at the introduction, you said you looked at my social media feed and saw that we had a lot of personal things in common and I was talking about social justice and you thought to yourself, this is a space where I will feel safe. And unfortunately, I've done a lot of my own work, but haven't always 
created a space that is safe to bring others into it. And so I've learned mm. my lesson the hard way, particularly with our group of coaches. Um, and I've stepped in it a number of times where like, I've done my own work. I've assumed that everyone else is doing their work and I invite people into the circle oh, and yeah. our community is not prepared for that. Right. Yeah. And so that's been a tough experience, but you know, a year ago or so we put out a call for a director of diversity and inclusion. At this time, it was just a consultant. We, I wanted someone to come in and be able to ask the questions and be able to like help navigate and see where our blind spots were and like guide and lead us. And I should have hired Dr. Carrie Coley is who we ended up hiring. I should have hired her uh, two years ago when I knew that this was important, but I felt like it was a moral failing for me to have to bring someone in to like teach me how to be a good inclusive person, Yeah, which doesn't really make sense. If you don't know marketing, you bring in a marketing person. If you don't know, you know, social media, you bring on a social media director. I don't know diversity and inclusion. So like it would make sense to bring someone in to lead but I felt a lot of like almost shame around the mm. fact that we needed that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we brought her on board as a consultant. We recently, then we then went on to hire her full time and she's got her fingers in every single aspect of our business and is really helping us shape and grow, not just Whole30, but our influence and wellness in general in terms yeah. of thinking about different population groups and thinking about things like representation. What does equity actually mean? You know, what's at stake for us and for our community if we do these efforts? What are equally important? What are some of the downsides if we do these efforts? Like what's, mm. we have to look at the full span of like what it means for us as a business for, and for us as a community. And, and there are positives and negatives, but um, thanks to her leadership, I feel like we finally have like a really good concrete plan that we can all be on board with and rally around. That is so awesome. Um, so one thing I've noticed is you get quite a bit of pushback on social media when you post about inclusion, justice. Like um, you recently, you did a podcast about cultural appropriation and how to avoid that. Um, so I know that that probably doesn't phase you now as much as it may have in the past. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like shame when you get pushback from people when you post about these things? Like what's your emotional process there? So it's interesting when I post about it on my personal Instagram, I get way less pushback. I think mm. because people have been following me for a very long time. They've watched my own journey. All, I'm never ever telling anyone what to do. All I'm doing is sharing my own learnings and they've watched this evolution over the last couple of years from myself, you know, of myself personally. So I, I don't get a lot of pushback. And when I do get pushback very often, it's like, I don't get this and it's making me feel icky, help me like understand it. So it's still coming at it from kind of an open-minded collaborative perspective on the whole 30 channel. It is a whole different ball game. Like gosh forbid I post something about, you know, privilege or the idea of like letting good enough be good enough or the fact that we don't all have the same like economic privilege or time privilege. It is like fragile city over there and it's really, oh. really challenging. Um, I don't, I feel defeated sometimes because I'm like, uh, you know, I recognize that everyone has to start somewhere. It is a little defeating sometimes to recognize how people are just so in their own bubble. And I just, you know, now that I have a lot more empathy and compassion and understanding for all of the different members of our community in ways that they're different, in ways that they have their own challenges, it's really hard for me to watch someone post a comment saying like, well, if you, you know, if you need to rely on microwave hot dogs, you're not doing a good enough job as a parent. Like that makes me want to, you know, um, really go off on that person. But what I try to do is just from a very gentle and welcoming place, like let them know where we stand on this. 
try to help them see it from other people's perspective and share some resources to help kind of draw them in. It's easy, I think, to get to feel defeated. Like, my gosh, we have our work cut out for us, but also we have our work cut out for us. And like, that's okay. So I tend to tread a little more gently over there than I do on my own feed. And I do have a lot of conversations in the DMs because I find that if people are called out publicly, they tend to get defensive and retreat. Whereas if I can have a private conversation and just share some of my views from a really compassionate standpoint, understanding that sometimes this stuff is like scary, then I get a lot further. Mm, That's awesome. Um, So I know you've talked about this a little bit, but white people kind of have a really hard time with racial tension, right? Like that's not something that most white people grow up having to experience or engage with or problem solve for, especially with people of color. Um, Also being confronted on like racism, privilege, like that can cause huge feelings of shame. And um, there's a temptation to quit doing the work is what I frequently see that people kind of go, okay, well, I didn't, I'm not, I'm not getting this on my first try. So I'm done. I'm out. I can't do this. Um, how do you deal with feelings of shame on your own personal journey of like unlearning all of the stuff that you've been taught by society, right? And culture and just the assumptions that we make being born into the positions that we're born into. You know, I constantly remind myself that anything I am experiencing pales in comparison to what you know, my dear friend experiences when he walks into a supermarket holding the hand of his husband or Mm -hmm. what my trans friend experiences or what, like, I constantly remind myself that any discomfort that I am feeling pales in comparison. So like, that's the first thing. I also recognize that the fact that I can stop doing this work if I feel like it, and I just want to take a weekend off and have a fun weekend with my family is a privilege in and of itself. Like if you're walking around as a trans person or as a person of color, you don't get the option of taking the weekend off. So trying to kind of put that in perspective, I think is really helpful. I've done a lot of personal work in like through my divorce, through my business split, through my addiction and recovery. I've done so much therapy and so much of that therapy has been really, really helpful in doing this work in that recognizing that my own defensiveness is a sign that there's something there I need to be paying attention to, learning not to take things personally, you know understanding that sometimes like judgment is that own person's shit and they're going to have to own that. And I don't have to pick that up and carry it. All of those things I think have been really, really helpful in me continuing to do the work, but also just remembering that like what's at stake here, what's at stake here is somebody looking at the whole 30 community, wanting to join, wanting to change their life and feeling like it's just not for them. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is completely unacceptable. I don't want anyone to ever feel like what we have to offer, whether it's through my own Instagram or Whole30 or our community as a whole, like isn't for them. And so I don't really need to give myself a lot of reminders to keep doing the work because what's at stake is so important for me. It's that like anybody would walk into my house and feel unwelcomed and feel like, you know, they weren't wanted or included or respected there. Like that, that would not be okay. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, and so how do you feel like your personal community, like friend group, family, how do they, how they responded to your growth in this area? Because it seems like you've had a lot of very serious growth in the last, you know, three years, um, in terms of this work. It's really nice. I have a few people on my team in particular who have been doing the work in parallel with me, just as devoted, just as committed you know, that I can talk to on a really regular basis and speak the same language and 
they understand kind of where I get stuck and we can, we can ask questions of each other, um, work related or personal related. And it feels really good in my personal friend circle. I've definitely had, there've been like a couple situations with people who I'm the closest to where I'm ahead of them in this process and their lack of like awareness, I find triggering. I've had a couple conversations with Brandon where um, it's not his fault at all because he's just where he is and I'm where I am. But like I've definitely overreacted and felt kind of unsupported. Um, and I, I struggle with employing. It's really easy for me to talk about the work when I know people are receptive. It's a lot harder for me to do it with my family members or with people I'm close to when I know for a fact that they're like not going to get it, they're going to laugh it off. They're saying I'm being too, just being politically correct or it's some kind of like PC bullshit. It's really easy in practice to say like, I'm going to stand up for my beliefs in the real world. And then it's a lot harder to do in reality. Um, I had a situation the other day with a, an acquaintance, but I would say we're friends. We have mutual friends where like she said something that was so horrifically like um, homophobic and transphobic in person. And I was so taken aback in the moment. And I think I just said, like, you can't say that. And she was like, of course I can. I can say anything I want. And like, I didn't handle it the way I wanted to. We were at this party and like, what am, you know, do I call her out in the middle of everyone? Do I handle it after? Like, I'm still figuring out how to use my voice in those situations. And sometimes I chicken out and that feels shitty, except like, you know, I'm still learning too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you have any books, resources? Um, I know that you are in a position of privilege and that you can like hire someone to be like, Hey, come work for our company. Right. But like individually, like, do you have things that are maybe more accessible than hiring a diversity and inclusion yeah, <laughs> like coordinator I mean, for your business? Before I had Dr. Coley to ask questions, I, I just Googled and I was a really mm. good Googler. I looked specifically per, for perspectives that both supported the way I thought about things and didn't support the way I thought about things. Mm. So there are a lot of situations in which I looked at both aspects of things. Is this cultural appropriation? Is this not cultural appropriation? So I've done just tons and tons of digging. I try to look very hard for resources on a specific subject by an authority or a voice in that subject. So I'm trying to give you an example. We recently looked up, I recently looked something up that was talking about like issues from a, an LGBTQ or trans perspective. And I couldn't find a single article from an LGBTQ or trans person. And I was like, well, I really want to hear their voice. So I kind of did a little bit more digging. Um, I, I think there's a ton of stuff available online. You know, the uh, Privilege Knapsack by Peggy McIntosh was one of the very first articles I read that helped me really grasp the idea of privilege. And of course, the um, um, White Fragility book is, mm -hmm. you know, from the library is a great place to start. We did that as a book club together last year through our coaches. But I'm trying to also branch out into like other areas that aren't very specific to one topic. So I've recently read a series of books that all have a general kind of loose theme around the subject of like poverty. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, made, it was Heartland, it was pressure cooker looking at the intersection of like food and poverty. Um, it was eviction looking at the intersection of poverty and like our landlord system. And they're all, you know, really helping me understand like my biases and my expectations around what it means to be poor. And I think all of these things are like really helpful. You can follow me, you can follow other people. There's so much available on social media right now. So many great social justice, you know, accounts on social media, yeah. some of them um, more palatable than others. If you're 
fragile. There are some that I might say like, Ooh, that one's going to be a little tough for you. But if I want you to ease into it, I'd recommend others. Your, your white homework is a great site. Um, I follow, you know, lots of people on social. So I think the resources are out there. It's not that they're not out there and like, you've got to dig for them. You just have to be, you have to be conscientious enough to like want to go find them and want specifically to like, you know, learn. And if that makes you uncomfortable, so be it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So my last question is women's history month. How do you feel like being a woman has given you maybe a different perspective on the work that you're doing? Right. I think that because, you know, women frequently like white women have this sort of tendency to be like, Oh, okay. I'm marginalized too, which is absolutely true. But, um, I think that there tends to be a little bit of, I feel like, I feel like you have a really good handle on the idea of like, yes, I am a woman, but also, and at the same time, right? Like I still hold a lot of privilege as an individual. Um, do you feel like that kind of the piece of like sexism or misogyny, do you feel like any of that affects like how you move through the world, how you engage with this work, um, in your business? Yeah, it's that's really interesting. You know, um, I think back to that quote from Cher where her mom was like, honey, I want you to marry a rich man. And she was like, I am a rich man, mom. I feel like, you know, the only way I could be more privileged is if I were a man. The Mm -hmm. only way I could be, and like, frankly, I feel like I'm there already. There are very few instances in my life right now where I feel like I'm discriminated against or I allow myself to be discriminated against. I'm really, Mm -hmm. again, like I'm very confident. I'm relatively successful in my business. I, you know, have good connections. Like there are all of these ways in which I feel like I'm not particularly discriminated against personally. However, what I have found is that in learning some of these social justice like systems, analogies of being a woman have been helpful in me understanding. So thinking about what it must be like to show up to a business meeting in a room full of like old white men and immediately be dismissed because I'm younger and less experienced and maybe pretty and whatever those reasons are can help put me in the state of mind of like, oh, this is what happens to other people who are marginalized. So, Mm -hmm. and you know, I've used the analogy with other white women before where I'm talking about things like, you know, um, what, I mean, all of these issues that sometimes we face in terms of like being a woman in a man's world, but I don't feel like it affects me personally that much. Um, so I don't know how that impacts my like work here, except to understand again, that like I'm sitting at this level of immensely high privilege compared Mm. to other white women. And then, and then you take into account, like I'm talking about other white, straight, cis, able-bodied women, right? Right. And then you take into account all of the other women who aren't as privileged and like how it must be, you know, 10 times harder for them because they have all of these, this like whole intersection of bias and racism and phobia Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and prejudice against them. So I think it does make me a little bit more aware, if anything, of like the, the power and the privilege that I do have. Um, and allows me maybe to, I don't know, think about that from the perspective of others who maybe aren't as privileged. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me. I'm like so honored. I've, like I said, I've kind of followed you from afar for a while. So, <laughs> Well, your work is something that I've, I've followed it always. Um, you've always been really gracious when I've asked you questions. You know, we, you just put your video out recently about um, don't, please stop telling black people we need to vote. Mm-hmm. 
And that like immediately hit me in the gut. Like, wait a minute, I tell everyone they vote. I want to tell everyone they should vote. Why can't I tell black people they can vote? And I reached out to you and said like, hey, do you have time for a consult on this? And as soon as I sent that message, I was like, oh no, Melissa, you got to go do your own shit on this. So I went and I did a bunch of research and I was like, why am I so like, why is this idea of not asking black people to vote so upsetting to me? And like, what does that mean? Mm. And, and I really think I came to like my own realizations. I was never going to argue with you. One of the things right. I've learned is like, listen to people, right? If this is what you're asking me, I am going to hundred percent abide by that. But it prompted me to do a lot of my own research and like understand the position a lot better because I, I read a lot of articles from a lot of black people who were both for and against asking black people to vote. And it really helped me understand it. So all of that to say, I feel really comfortable asking you questions. I feel really comfortable like sharing my thoughts with you, but I also learn a lot from what you put out, even if you're only seeing a tiny percentage of it. What you're not seeing is like the deep dive I'm doing based on the stuff that you're sharing and how it's really prompting my growth. So for that, I should say thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Um, I will include all of this in the show notes because I know where to find you on the internet. But um, if you, yeah, tell people where they can find you and your work and what you're up to. Yeah, I would love to connect. My primary platform, Instagram, I'm just at Melissa U and I talk about all kinds of stuff from books I read to fitness stuff, to food, to this kind of, you know, social justice and personal growth work. I talk about my trauma and recovery, basically all this stuff I've learned in therapy. I'm just talking about it on the internet now. (laughs) That's so awesome. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Tori. It was nice to talk to you. Thank you all for joining me for White Homework. You can find Melissa on Instagram at Melissa U. You can find me online at Tori Glass on Twitter and Instagram. My website is www.toriglass.com. This podcast has been made possible by my amazing patrons, and if you learned something valuable from this episode, please head over to www.whitehomework.com and sign up to become a patron of the show. Thanks so much, and I'll catch you next time.